Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. We're glad you're here. I'm Kevin McDonald, your host for this grand adventure, and I thank you for joining us. You see, our mission is to create a positive, personal connection to all things with courage and love. We invite terrific guests, interesting topics, and great conversation, all in a fun, entertaining way. And we always manage to learn something, too. So I hope you will stay right where you are for this episode of Positive Talk Radio. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Positive Talk Radio. I do have to say this is a very special episode of Positive Talk Radio because we have been joined by a lady that I keep finding out more about all the time. <laughs> and, and I should be scolding you because you didn't tell me. You didn't. <laughs> I had to go. I didn't know I was supposed to tell you I can I can palletize uh, boxes. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> Well, just, just so you know, she's she's busy today because she, by the way, we're talking with uh, a Michelle Neff Hernandez, and um, she is a woman of note. She's got a, a program that is called, uh, I had it right here, oh, SoaringSpirits.org, and she works with folks that uh, are grieving and works with widows and widowers. Um, widowed all, people, we like to say. Widowed people, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I did not know until five minutes before we came on the show that you, in 2021, were the top 10 CNN hero of the year. And that is um, nothing short of a testament to the type of person you are and the work that you're doing to help humanity Um it's 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 amazing and linda carter was the one by the way if you don't know who that is that's uh um of, of wonder woman fame is mm -hmm. the is the one who introduced you and they had a short film and then you came up and you had a very heartfelt speech and it was it was a very emotional moment for me to watch that mm -hmm. you and your dress was beautiful and you were beautiful and and uh, and I'll, I'll bet you that was one of the most magical experiences that you've had amongst many. It really was. And I was one of the top 10. Uh, so I didn't end up winning Hero of the Year. But the CNN team made each one of us feel like absolute uh, superstars. And actually, that really is kind of the impetus for their CNN Heroes program is to run it sort of like an Oscars um, but what they ask is that the celebrities who are doing the presenting to the heroes sort of dress down and they tell the heroes to dress like it's the night of your life. And so um, they really set this up intentionally to celebrate the really good work that people do in the world. And as we were at the end of our time, so it was a weekend long um, event at the end of our time together, each one of the heroes kept saying thank you to the producers and to the team for CNN. And they kept that just turning that thanks right back to us and saying that after reporting all year long on all of the tragic events and the difficulties that we live through um, as as news as they're as they're sharing news, 
that when they come to the CNN Heroes program, it makes them feel like there are great people doing, just remember that there are good people doing good things in the world. So they, they kept turning that thanks right back to us. It really was a magical experience. Once in a lifetime, I'll never, I'll never forget being able to represent grief in that way because so rarely do we hear grief and trauma spoken about on an international stage. And so it was my privilege to be able to represent. That's one of those things that you just don't talk about is, right. is grief and because because nobody knows how to talk about it. But before we get into that, I just wanted to mention on CNN that I, I love the way that they do it because and it's, it's a shame that they have to create a quote-unquote hero of the year award. It should be celebrating equally the top 10 because all of you did incredible work and are doing incredible work to save the planet and each other. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad that you're here. Um, you, um, your work started in 2005. Unbeknownst it, to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that it was starting in 2005. <laughs> Surprise. And, and, uh, exactly. and you, you know, your, your husband and an avid bike rider, well, go ahead and tell us that story, if you will. Yeah, um, on a one random Wednesday, my husband, who was a regular cyclist, uh, he I liked it. It's funny that it was Wonder Woman that introduced me because I always would tell him he was like his own little Superman. Um, he was well, healthy, strong. He had these little tiny chicken legs. I'd like to say he had chicken legs, but those chicken legs could ride that bike up a hill like nobody's business. And so uh, it was it was a regular evening. He went out for a bike ride with a friend. And um, as the sun was setting, it hit the windshield of a driver and that driver hit my husband from behind on his bike. And he survived about an hour after the impact um, before he died in the emergency room of our local hospital. And he was 39, just about to turn 40. And I was 35. And my whole world turned upside down um, with his death. And that minute really was the, the time that I began thinking, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be widowed. I don't know. What, I mean, never had ever occurred to me. Of course, that's the funny thing about death, isn't it? That though we know that we all will have a grief experience at some point, we know logically that the people in our lives will die, you know, in circumstances like that. It's just something I never even considered. And so that sort of began my search for how to find the support um, and the hope that I needed to be able to make my way through this completely foreign experience. And just to complete the picture for folks, um, this happened on a Wednesday and it was close to your home and you get a call and they say, come quick. So you go and you, and you were able to be in the ambulance with him going to the hospital where he expired right with you with you right there <clears throat> and it was i can only imagine i you know i've had people in my life die but i've never had a spouse or somebody that it would i would consider to be a life partner pass away and i just the the grief must be just 
just overwhelming because you you win you you kissed him goodbye on a Wednesday afternoon and two hours later uh, you were you were widowed um, and I I you know I don't know how to how to even how to even comprehend that that's just beyond me. Yeah, I didn't know how either. <laughs> that that therein lies the challenge, I think. Um, but you know, the truth of it, I think, is that whatever grief experience we come to, and including other traumas as well that sit beside the grief, um, is that however prepared we may think we are, it's impossible to be completely prepared for something like that. And what we learn, I think, through those early days is that it's harder than it looks. And so, you know, people will come alongside us and offer support and they hope that we'll get better and they hope for all of these wonderful things for us. But what was most helpful to me was being accompanied by other widowed people who understood how hard it was and could continue to say, you know, basically, I'm here to walk with you through this. You know, I don't know. There's no right way to do this. That was so nice to have that verified that there wasn't one particular way to do it because I really wanted to do it well. <laughs> if I if I could have had a checklist, that would have been made my day. Um, but it turns out that we all have to make our own way through grief, every grief experience, whether it's the grief of someone, um, you know, pivotal in our life, like a spouse or a child or a parent, or, you know, sometimes even in other circumstances, different types of trauma, illnesses, job loss, divorce, the kind of things that just turn our lives upside down. Um, you know, when we have other people to walk through those experiences with us, I feel like it provides us with some perspective that's valuable for healing. And the and healing is the correct term here, because when you get people together who've had a common experience like that, and you can approach it in a positive way, because life doesn't end, it continues for us, and we... we would be best served by figuring out a way to make it work better for us to get through it so that, because, you know, I, I honestly believe that our loved ones who have passed, all they want for us is the best. They want us to have a, a loving life. They want us to have a great life and they want us to continue. Do you agree with that? I, I do. I think, you know, one of the things I like to, you know, just remind people of in their, in their grief, especially when they're struggling with, they don't know the answer to what would their person do. So for widowed people in particular, oftentimes we face circumstances. Do I sell my house? Do I keep my house? You know, do I move to a new place? Do I change the color of the bedroom? Do I complete the project we started? Do I close up the project because I hated it from the beginning? And oftentimes we're looking for validation from our person on the other side. Like, what would they do? We want to do the best thing that they would want. At the end of the day, I believe what we have to carry forward is the love. They loved you and they trusted you. And so the choices that you're going to make carrying forward that love and that trust, that's the important bit. It's not so important whether you do it exactly as they would have told you, even if they could have told you, even if they told you before they died, um, because you know, the circumstances change. And at the end of the day, what we're doing when we are building a life for ourselves after someone we love dies is building a life of meaning that, honors and respects the love that we have for them while also honoring and respecting ourselves, especially the new self that's born through the experience through which we've lived. And so that may mean that you need something a little different than, um, than you're used to. 
Emma's, I, and I know it, it's hard all the way from, you know, the closet issues and, and the, what, what to do with the effects and, and all of that. And, but, but also there's, there's, uh, the need to reach out to people and from your, from, from your advice and talking with a lot of people that have gone through this and a lot have been widowed for those of us that have not gone through that, how would you suggest that we talk to someone about those issues and let them know that we care and that we're right there. But, you know, it seems like I understand what you're feeling doesn't cut it. Um, I, yeah. you know, I sympathize, doesn't cut it. You have my pr- thoughts and prayers, doesn't cut it. What does cut it? Love. I think that if, if we can all come back to it being as simple as that, because the truth of this is it can be fixed. And so if you're coming to a grieving person with the intention of helping them, um, please set aside any idea that you can fix this for them or that you can find a path through which they can be healed because each one of us as grievers have to make our own way forward. That really is a unique and individual experience. But the thing that always matters is love, knowing that you're loved, knowing that the people who love you can tell you they love you. And sometimes being able to show that you love someone by acts of service, by being present, by being willing to listen. These are all things that are really key to someone being able to make their way through this grief experience. The thing where people, I think where we take a left turn, where we go a little wrong is um, when we try to solve it. And so just like when, if you were to say to someone, for example, you know, God must have needed another angel. Um, While you may be offering that as a kindness and because you believe that the person who died was a wonderful person who was certainly becoming an angel right at that very moment for someone who is walking back into the empty bedroom where that person used to sleep, who is looking at a closet full of their clothes that they no longer need, they may not be comforted by the idea that they are moving on into a new realm and wearing angel wings in their closet instead of the flannels that were there yesterday. So, you know, it's not to say that the, the intent is not positive. I, I, I choose to believe that most people really, they want to help. And the things that they say that sometimes don't come off as very helpful, almost always have a desire to help behind them. But I think where, what I've discovered is that the, the times when things go wrong are when behind the desire to help is the desire to fix. And so if we can set aside the desire to fix this and instead being willing to be a loving presence through it, that's that's the key. And a lot of times loving presence doesn't require words. So you don't need to have words to be able to offer your presence, your, and, you know, talking about the pandemic, thinking about how many people suffered through these losses without the hug from their, you know, parent or their best friend or without the ability to be surrounded by others. It was another layer of difficulty for people who either either lost someone, someone experienced the death of someone they love during pandemic or as a result of the pandemic, they didn't get that opportunity to be loved in that way. And so people have to be creative sometimes in how they're able to reach out. But I often will tell people, write a little note that says, I'm thinking about you and I love you. And in that note, include a gift card for a a restaurant local to the person who you're sending the card to that delivers. 
because that means on one day when they're just thinking to themselves, I can't do dinner. <laughs> they have this gift from someone who loves them that has a card that says, I love you and I'm thinking about you. And also here's dinner. It's those kind of small things that can really make a difference because the truth is we can't fix it. We can only offer love and support as the person who we love that's grieving makes their way through their own healing experience. You know, that's really is sound. Well, you, you would give a sound, <clears throat> really sound wonderful advice because, you know, you're, you're, you're right. It comes down to the nuts and bolts. It comes down to the day to day moment by moment living that we all do. But, uh, um, when you're living it at, at, at each moment, it's, it's different. And if you, if they can get a gift card, um, and you, and can have, have some food delivered, um, to, so that they don't have to do, get dressed and do all that kind of stuff. That would be, that would be really good, you know. And the and the, I guess the other thing is is just to reach out, and and just yeah. to let them know that you're there. Yeah, and to keep reaching out because I think this is another challenge for people who are witnessing someone else's grief. It takes way longer than people think, and so you imagine that people might be better, and oftentimes there is a time frame in people's mind where it's like after a year, they should be doing better. Certainly after three years, five years, we shouldn't even be talking about this anymore. But the reality is that grief continues to be a part of who we are. And when people ask me, you know, how long do you think you'll grieve for Phil? My answer is for as long as he's dead. And I don't see any reversal of that coming. <laughs> so that is the reality I live with is that he will be dead for the rest of my life, which means I will miss and love him for the rest of my life and I will grieve him for the rest of my life. That doesn't mean that my grief isn't going to shift and change over time. I don't grieve him in the same way I did in those first weeks and months and years after his death, but I do still miss and love him and I do still grieve him. And there are times when something will happen in the world or something will happen with the family or something will happen in my life and I'll wish I could tell him. And so, you know, what I have to do as for me personally, what works is continuing a bond that I have with him, continuing the connection that we have. Um, I still talk to him out loud. I still, you know, will say, you know, something to him or think, oh my gosh, he would love this. And so those are the kind of things that we normalize when we're able to be in community with other people who are grieving, because then we recognize that other people have those kind of connections and other people, I've been widowed for 16 years. 16 years later, I can still say I'm still grieving my husband. That does not mean that I don't live a full and amazing life. That does not mean that I don't love my current husband. I have a new husband who have been married to twice as long as I was married to Phil, who is a pivotal and beautiful part of my life but nothing replaces a person. So for as long as Phil's dead, I'll always miss and love the unique spirit that he is and that he brought to the world and to my life. And there's not only nothing wrong with that, but that is a really normal human way to process this grief experience. And when that happened for you, you made a concerted effort to start this company, start this, this nonprofit. I believe it's a nonprofit. And it is a nonprofit and to work together with other people and it's called soaringspirits.org and it is designed for widowed people to get together to talk about their 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 issues and and what's going on and, and i have a personal story that if i could share with you of, of something that went horribly wrong and that was uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law had been married for about 20 years and she had a heart defect and they didn't mm -hmm. expect her to live a full life 
but uh, she, she lived until she was about 40. And, um, and then she went into the ICU and she, they, she was too far gone that they couldn't get her a heart transplant. And so ultimately she passed away at about 41 years old. And, uh, and this was, it gets better or worse. Uh, and because <laughs> of the fact that nobody knew how to handle grief, he went to the house that they'd been in. They had no children, but they went, he went back to the house that they had been in for 15 years and it was alone in that, in that yeah. house. And, yeah. and unfortunately his family didn't reach out to him the way that they could have and, and invited him over, had him be part of the, the family and, and, to, cre- and to create connection which is what you do with uh, Soaring Spirit, is you create connection amongst people. Well, he, he had a short fling with a young thing. He recognized that he wasn't 18 anymore. And so, and so she took some money from him. And it, it takes a long story. Uh-huh. Make a long story short, he ended up committing suicide. Uh-huh. Because he just didn't feel like he had any support. He didn't feel like he had anywhere to turn. He just got a bill mm-hmm. from the hospital for a million dollars. And he oh, didn't gosh. feel that, you know, it was one of those things where all sides and rather than, which I would implore people to do is it's, it's like gathering around the flag when there's a problem that if we all gather around the person who has been injured or is in grief and we let them know that we're there for them. Um, it seems to me like that can, we can help heal. Uh, just by our presence. Is that is that been your experience? Wow, Kevin, that is a really uh, hard and difficult story. Um, first of all, thank you for sharing it with me. Um, secondly, I feel like we're friends. So I can say to you, one of the things I challenge people to look at when we talk about suicide death, um, when we started first talking about suicide death, you, I don't know if you realize this, but it was a crime to take your life. And so that's how we come with the language of commit suicide. And so I am am constantly talking about how we can, one of the ways we can support people, especially family members who've experienced the death by suicide, is to be able to recognize it's a death by suicide or died by suicide. If we as a community take out the word commit, then we begin to help other people understand how and why. I mean, it's language we all have. It's language we all use. And prior to my living in this new life that I live, I never even would have thought about that or knew that commit suicide wasn't, that I, that was the only thing I'd ever heard of to describe someone taking their life. Exactly. And so, um, and, the, and the trouble is, you know, I, I do think, yes, rallying around someone provides them with support. Can they always accept your support? That that can depend on so many things. And every situation is so complicated. It sounds like he had a number of challenges on top of all of the things that had already happened. And, and I do think it's worth us noting that when people are struggling with mental illness or when their life has become so onerous that they feel the only logical way out is to end their lives, um, that, that they are at a crucial point of isolation, that they have able to isolate to the point where they don't have the perspective. And that's what happens when we're overwhelmed with trauma is that we can 
get only in our head and not have any other perspective. And I think the beauty and the value of a community is twofold. One, there's the consistent offer of connection. Yes, again, that person has to be willing and able to accept that connection. But two, it also provides the perspective that oftentimes in our head, we're not able to provide for ourselves. And so who knows what stories he was telling himself and likely they were tragic stories and difficult. He couldn't think of a way out of this. And because he couldn't think of a way out of this and he didn't have other perspectives to enter into that, then you're left with only what you can come up with in your pain, in your trauma, and in what oftentimes feels like failure. Because if you haven't been able to figure it out, it just feels like you're constantly on the wheel of trying to make sure it's happening when it when you can't figure out how. And so I'm just so... Like my heart goes out to you and his family and him because that moment must have been so scary. And my hope is always that when we are included in a community that we have the opportunity to be connected to people who can help make it a little less scary. And, you know, that doesn't always end up being what happens, but that's definitely the effort we make is to be able to have people. So Soaring Spirits International is our organization. We serve widowed people anyone who's experienced the death of a spouse or partner. So um, we have a very broad definition of the word widowed, and we offer both in-person and online programs that offer peer support. That is what we are, a peer support network designed to step in for, because some people, much like it sounds like your brother-in-law, they may not have those family connections that are continuing to reach out to them. And so if they can have a a community of widowed people, they can find their support there. And then they're able to interact with their family in a different way um, and not count on them exclusively for the support that sometimes they just don't know how to offer. And in his case, there was a great deal of anger because oh, uh, he felt yeah. the victim is he lost his wife, his, mm -hmm. his little girlfriend took some money from him and left. He was having trouble at work. He got a bill for a million dollars yeah. and it's right. like, at what point, you know, is it like I'm mm -hmm. I'm angry, and so that's that was his, mm -hmm. yeah. his reaction to it. But yeah, um, and it would if he had a community, uh, and I think that that really is key, and especially post COVID, if mm -hmm. we can get mm -hmm. together a community, even if it's on Zoom, even mm -hmm. even if it's you know from people all across the country that can get together on Zoom and can talk about these issues and and uh, be facilitated by someone like you who can kind of guide it in the right direction i mm -hmm. think that it's a benefit and that's that's why the work that you do is now even more important than it was in 2021 when you won the uh, when you were in the top 10 for cnn for the hero program uh, because it's continuing to be necessary and more necessary yeah i do and i think the other thing is that you know what we offer is an opportunity for people to process the strong emotions that are attached. You know, they're just a part and parcel of the grief experience. Um, but oftentimes there's additional traumas that are included. And so, you know, the story you gave begins with grief and, and then adds trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma for him. And that often happens for people that when one big thing goes wrong, then a number of other things and, and with each additional weight, you just feel more weighed down and less able to kind of carry what is being put on you. Um, through life circumstances. And so what helps when you have a community is to be able to offer the perspective of ways to continue 
to manage the strong emotion because that's where it starts. It really starts with I'm missing my person. I'm missing my, um, you know, my partner in life, the person who would be my sounding board, the person who would help me figure this out. And so suddenly you feel very alone. And sometimes even when you're in community, you still feel alone. So that isolation of grief is a real part of what each of us has to make our way through. And some people are more designed for looking for people, right? If they're a person who really seeks that out typically in their life, that's one thing. For others who that isn't a normal part of what they've done in their life, it's even harder. And so our goal with Soaring Spirits is to make our community so broad and so easily accessible that people can interact to the level that feels right for them. And so for some people, that would be just going on to our Widowed Village forum and being able to read what other people write, never write a single thing themselves, never make a connection. But what they've done is they've joined a community and they have access to that perspective, whether or not they feel personally like they want to engage. Then there's other people who engage through our in-person programs or who are drawn in through our online programs and then show up for our in-person programs. And so we try to provide a variety of avenues through which people can understand that they are not unique and alone in this experience of grief and then provide them with some perspective as to the many ways that people process and the ways that they offer different types of resources and then to continue to provide a variety of available and relevant resources that address specifically the widowed experience. And that's the work of Soaring Spirits. Um, I do want to also just mention that my book, which just recently came out, Different After You, um, is a way of helping other people as well. So Soaring Spirits International is specific to the widowed experience. The book really kind of welcomes everyone who's having any kind of grief experience or traumatic experience and helps kind of take us through the steps of processing what we've experienced and building something new for the person we've become through the experience. Speaking of which, you've got a program coming up in Florida. What are you doing? We do. We do. Uh, Camp Widow is the name of the program. And actually, way back when we talked about this journey beginning for me in 2005, um, one of the first things that I imagined after having met several widowed people was what if I could bring them all together and bringing them together in my mind was a weekend long event. And that is what we have done all more than 30 times. Now we've had more than 30 events. Camp Widow is a weekend long event. We also have a Camp Widow pop up, which is a one day condensed event. Um, but what's coming up now is Camp Widow Tampa. We'll be in Tampa, Florida. Um, this will be our first time back in person in three years. Our last event was in 2019 there. So we're really, really excited about being back in person. Um, so we hold one in Tampa, Florida. We hold one in San Diego, California, one in Brisbane, Australia, and one in Toronto in uh, Ontario, Canada. And then our pop-up will be in Denver. Um, all the information for any of the Camp Widow programs are on the, our website, which is campwidow.org. And you can find event dates and all of the different details there. But I like to tell people the weekend long events are a cross between a conference, a retreat, and a high school reunion. <laughs> we try to bring in elements of all three of those things because, you know, the, the myth is that grief is only sad. The myth is that grieving people are only crying. What we find at Camp Widow is that when we are in a community that understands us, we have the chance to laugh. We have the chance to engage in ways that 
are safe within this space because no one's making any assumptions about us or telling us how to do things. It's really just the place where you come, come as you are, and know that when you are surrounded by other people who understand what you're going through, you feel light in ways that are very difficult to describe. But my favorite quote is that, and it happens at every camp, is that somebody will say to me, I thought I was going to come here and cry. I had no idea my cheeks would laugh from, my cheeks would hurt from laughing so much. Um, and there, so there's joy in it. There's definitely joy in it, which feels foreign to people who are grieving. Like, what is that lady talking about? Um, there's no joy here, but it's there's a unique joy in being understood and in feeling for the first time that maybe you can do this. What's it like? And I, I'm told that you know a lot. A lot of I can't generalize. Sometimes people will say that. Well, you know, it's been a year. It's been two years. They should, you know, they sh they got to move past it. They should be past it. But what are holidays like, even even now, um, for you? That's and for for a grieving person. Yeah, holidays have to be tough. That's a great question. Holidays are tough, um, but they're tough in different ways each year. So I'll give you an example. You know, when F Phil first died, the, you know, the holidays just felt like I would like to be the Grinch and go somewhere where they don't even have holidays, please. Thank you very much. Um, and I tell widowed people, if you're feeling that way, there's no reason you can't do that. So we get in our heads and we tell ourselves, but it's the holidays. I have to do it. No, you don't have to do it. You could take a break. The holidays are still going to be there when you come back. And so what I hope for people is that they free themselves from the expectations. Um, and of course, you know, I had, I had kids. So, um, I have three kids and I have three stepkids. And that first Christmas, I wanted them, we celebrate Christmas. I wanted them to be able to have a holiday. Um, and so I recognize that some people will say, well, I can't leave because, you know, the kids or the grandkids or whomever doesn't doesn't want me to be away for the holidays. But um, I, I encourage people to think about their holidays differently because they can come back to them being exactly how they were, whatever your exact plan was, you can come back to that. It will still be there um, when you return. But, but to answer your question, how are holidays now? And why does it take so much longer than people think? It's the answer to that is secondary losses. So we have the initial grief experience of the person who died. And then we realize as we start growing through the next few years, what are the other things they're missing? They're missing graduations. They're missing weddings. They're missing baby showers. They're missing the, the first holiday for their grandchild that was born after they died. So these are the things that continue to come up as we live that will be changed because this person is no longer physically present. And that's going to always influence how each different holiday is. And I think the other thing for me that has changed around the holidays related to my grief is that I have a better understanding now of the brevity of life. And as silly as it seems, you know, of course I knew people died, but it didn't seem like my people were going to die. And now I know on a random Wednesday, one of the people I love the most could die. And what that does in my life is highlights that each opportunity I have to celebrate anything is valuable because I know that the days that I miss him the most are not always the big days. They're even not always the holidays, but I miss him every rainy, the first rainy day of the season because he worked in air conditioning and heating. And so whenever Phil would be, uh, it was a rainy day, Phil would be at home. I would be at work and he'd be calling me every five minutes. Are you coming home yet? 
are you coming home yet? Are you coming home yet? And so who would know that a rainy day is the day that I most miss him because it's the small things that really do end up being the moments you miss. And whether that's where you used to sit and they used to sit drinking coffee in the mornings. And whenever you look at that chair, you have the sense that something's missing. It's not so much the big days or the or the things that you might expect, even death anniversaries, birthdays. Yes, those are a thing. But sometimes it's the smallest moments where you feel their absence the most because those secondary losses, they just can't be predicted and they come all through the rest of your life because you're always going to have firsts, you know, things you never experienced before. And those things may remind you of someone you love who's died, who you wish very much could either participate in what you were doing or see that you're there or hear what they might think about it. So, you know, grief is not something that has a timeline. There is no timeline. But I, I do want to acknowledge, though, that as we grow through our grief, we develop tools and and coping techniques. And as we continue making our way forward, we just collect more and more of those. And so, you know, 16 years into my grief experience, when I'm feeling sad and missing Phil, I allow myself that time because I know now what I didn't know then, which was that this is a passing moment. And it's a, it's a way that I do stay connected to him. It's nice to miss him. It's nice to know that his absence is felt not only by me, but by many, many other people. And so, you know, I will give this piece of advice to the listeners. If you're missing someone who's died, please call someone else who's also missing them and say, hey, you know what? I'm really missing Phil today because it means so much to me when people say, I miss that guy because I miss him too. And being able to share that with someone who loved and valued him is a really unique gift. So today, if you're missing somebody who's dead, call someone else who loved that person and say, hey, I just wanted you to know I'm missing this person. Um, because oftentimes that's just, it's just a beautiful way of continuing their memory. You know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, by the way, first of all, I'd like to say thank you. I feel honored for that you would call me a friend. And I feel the same way. And so thank you. You're very welcome. But uh, I lost my mother in July. Uh, she was 90, had a full life, uh, went to bed on Friday night after playing bridge and passed away. Mm -hmm. And so if you got to go, that's how you want to go. In any event, yesterday, it was Sunday, and it's a down day for me. I worked the rest of the time, but I wasn't doing anything. And I said, gee, I should call mom. Oh, well, now wait. <laughs> um, and so I called my sister and I said, oh. do you ever, do you ever call, do you ever think that you don't think about calling mom? And she said, well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because she had surgery and she happened to be on drugs at the time. And she goes, gee, I wonder why mom hasn't called because oh. normally she calls after surgery. Yeah. And, uh, and then a couple of days later, she thought about it again and goes, well, you, you drug addict, you're no wonder you <laughs> you're on barbitol or something <laughs> and stuff and so but so those and those random thoughts come yeah. up to you and they do it for years mm -hmm. um, because you you were so accustomed to or something wonderful happens in your life and you go gee that's exciting wait like when you got the cnn award it was like i yeah. want to oh yeah so it makes it it makes yeah. it fun. I so love that you called your sister. See, I knew we were friends. 
That's the way to, but it's such a beautiful thing because first of all, you confirm for your sister that that's normal. Secondly, you both have a moment to talk about your mom. Thirdly, you get to be influenced by her love. She loved you and you would want to, you know, have a chat with her and and your sister was thinking, of course, mom would call after surgery. Where's mom? Um, And that's just a representation, right, of that love and of the connection that is ongoing. And that's one of the beautiful things about loving someone through the end of their life is that for as long as we continue talking about them and we continue those connections, their legacy continues. That love continues to grow and just be passed on from one person to the next if we're willing if we're willing to allow our people to be continue to be part of our lives after they die, we get the that beautiful blessing of their continued presence. Um, and and you, but you have to be willing. And and sometimes because that pain, because the pain of their absence is so difficult, sometimes people resist welcoming that connection ongoing because they're afraid that that's going to take them down an avenue that's too painful and they won't be able to recover. And so I encourage you to continue just taking the tiniest steps if you're afraid to continue that connection with your loved one, because that continued connection is such a powerful agent for healing. And the connection that you and your sister will, you know, will create by bonding through that is just yet another gift from your mom. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I'd like to thank you for being here and let's go, let's go through all of the, your stuff because somebody out there who's listening to this now or later is going to need to reach out and connect because they've just recently lost somebody that is dear to them. So if they go to uh soaringspirit.org and yep. that's, one of, that's one of them, what, what else, where else should they go? So we'll start with this. Um, I want to say that anyone who's widowed or anyone who loves somebody who's widowed will find support on SoaringSpirits.org. And so that is the home base for all things Soaring Spirits, including Camp Widow. You'll be able to find the Camp Widow program on the Soaring Spirits website. We also offer support for someone who is um, has a loved one in their life who's widowed. So not only will there be information for the widowed person, but also for their network, their family, and their friends. So you'll find all of that on soaringspirits.org. For the book, which is called Different After You, Rediscovering Yourself and Healing After Grief and Trauma, you can find that on my website, michelleneffhernandez.com. My mom loved to spell my name with one L. French is what she told me. It's the French spelling of Michelle. So um, michelleneffhernandez.org is where you'll find information about the book, where you can stay connected to me. Also, my social media is all Michelle Neff Hernandez. So please, I love having new friends. So if what I am offering in terms of support through grief and trauma resonates for any of you listeners, I welcome you to friend me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram. Um, I try to keep people in informed on the various things that we offer, but also just provide a space for talking about our people and for living our best lives. And your book just was released in February. So uh, I, I assume it's doing well. So far, so good. Um, it is a totally new experience for me. So uh, I keep thinking like, is it doing well? I mean, I think it's doing well. People are buying it. So that's good. Um, but more than that, what matters to me is that the book really is, I think of it as a love letter 
to any person who has experienced a traumatic event. And so it it is a foundationally based on my experience as a widowed person, but I developed a seven sort of sections to the book to help people make their way through from the moment of their traumatic experience all the way to rediscovering and owning the person that they've become through the process. And so my hope is, and the feedback so far has been that no matter what kind of grief experience you've had or traumatic experience you've had, there's something useful for you in the book to honor and respect the new person that you are today, who has carried you through all of the difficulties that you've experienced so far. Um, and with the hope of continuing that healing journey by allowing ourselves to be changed by what we've experienced. And understand that that experiences happen. And if you can make the best of it, you're you're better served by doing that than 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 going down a bad place. And if you're going down a bad place, stop where you're at and go to soaringspirits.org, and and you can perhaps reach out to Michelle Michelle with the one L. That was and, very good. If you start <laughs> singing the Beatles song, you get extra points. <laughs> you can only imagine how many times I've heard it. A lot. Oh yes, I, I'll oh, bet yeah. you. Uh, well, uh, you know, just because I'm a Paul McCartney fan, he uh, he w was playing at the White House and he played in front of the president and mm -hmm. Mrs. Obama. Uh, he played Michelle. So. That's right. As he should. That was the perfect <laughs> opportunity. I would have been sad if he had passed it up. Exactly. It's it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I know you're busy loading a truck for Florida <laughs> and and are palletizing everything and getting everything yes, organized sir. and ready to go. And uh, and but it's it's such a pleasure. And I I would love to have you on again. I would love that. Thank you so much, Kevin. We're friends, so that's that's it. It's an assurance that we will be together again. That that is so cool. You are you are an incredible lady, um, and you know things. You know, you're just an incredible lady, and I'm just going to leave it at that. I so, appreciate that. Thank you for all the good you do in the world, and I look forward to being back. I'm doing my best, and just like you're doing your best, and and, and uh, one of these days, one of these days, I might have, no, I can't have Christopher Reeve because he's no longer <laughs> Um, right. Okay. Keep looking. Keep. We'll. We'll keep. We're gonna keep on the path. Maybe a next superhero. We don't know who's next. Exactly. Is there anything that you would like to add before we go? I just want to remind everyone: if you're struggling through something difficult, to be kind to yourself. The most, the the best thing we can do for ourselves is offer grace and and kindness as we make our way through into the next space. So step by step, tiny step by tiny step, with kindness and grace, and we'll make it through. And I want to thank you again, Michelle. Um, she she's been our guest today, Michelle Neff, Michelle Neff Hernandez. Um, there should be a hyphen there, I think. Anyway, uh, go to soaringspirits.org and find out all about her, and then uh, uh, join her in uh, Tampa. Yeah, is it spots available? We absolutely do. Come on down. Come or on up in. wherever it is you live in the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And now going to Australia must be fun. It is. Yeah. For except, sure. for, except for the snakes and the crocodiles and the and the spiders and the spiders, but, I stay away from them. Yeah, we have a true. We've called a truce, so yeah. they stay away from me. I stay away from them. It's all good. Yeah, my joke is what I thought was a joke, but apparently it's not. Is they got spiders big enough to eat a cat? 
So, you know. Yes. Well, definitely have spiders as big as your hand. That I can confirm. Ugh. <laughs> I'll stay in Seattle. On that, we'll end. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, you have a wonderful time down in Tampa. Thank and thank you. you for the work that you're doing. You you are uh, a miracle in this life. And I know wow. that uh, Mr. Hernandez is, is uh, looking down on you and is extremely pleased. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And everybody, hang out right there, Michelle. I'll be right back. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got.